Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're here today. Uh, just to give you kind of an overview of the series we have coming up, it's called To Have and To Hold. This is the first Sunday. Uh, we'll be talking about numerous topics from communication to um, all kinds of things. I mean, it, it deals, things that deal with marriage, dating, uh, we'll talk about sex. We'll talk about some different things. Uh, just want to give you uh, kind of the overview of my thought process. I will be speaking mostly in generalities, so understand that, yes, I'm going to make generalizations, and not everything will apply to you the way that I speak about it, but I'm sure in some way, form, or fashion, you'll figure out how to necessarily make it fit. I know that we have people that are in all walks of life, okay, from, hey, I'm a teenager to uh, I'm in dating, to I'm married for a long time, to this isn't my first marriage, to I'm not married anymore. And I understand that. Uh, I'm thinking and I'm hoping and praying and pretty sure that God's, you know, cooler than I am and, and better at this than I am, that you will get something out of it no matter where you find yourself in your walk of life. Um, so buckle up with me because I got a lot today and I'm going to try to get through it all and maybe I won't. But uh, why? Why? That's one of the first questions that we uh, ask as little children. You hear it all the time. Uh, I hear it daily. Cordelia, go clean your room. Well, why? Or Cordelia, you need to wash your hair tonight. Well, why? Cordelia, you, you, know, you can't eat your food with your hands. Why? Right? And it, it's a question that comes from uh, innocent beginnings. What's my motivation to do this? It's not them trying to be disrespectful. They're just trying to understand the way the world works. Why is it important that I clean my room? Why can't I eat with my hands? You know, why do I have to wash my hair tonight when I did it, you know, four nights ago or whatever? I'm just kidding. I don't know if that's the thing I'm just saying, right? But they just want to know. Uh, they want, they have a genuine desire to understand why this choice is being made for them. Uh, as adults, uh, the world gets scary because we have to start answering that question for ourselves. We have to determine our why with whatever task um, it is that we are doing. It even happens in teenage years. For instance, one of the questions, a lot of you know I coach uh, football too. One of the questions we asked our kids this year was why? Why are you here? What's your motivation? Determine, determining your why is going to determine um, what you're successful at within a task and how successful you will be at with a task. When you determine the reason for behind your actions, then you tend to be more passionate about those things. You tend to uh, have a better focus on those things. You tend to just overall be more motivated. So uh, we want to help you be successful. Now, marriage uh, just happens to be one of the many things that this applies to. Determining your why when getting married, when being married, when thinking about being married um, is extremely important to the successful of a godly marriage. The difference between marriage and many other tasks for us as adult Christians is that our why is determined for us. Our why is determined for us. It's laid out in scripture. It's very clear. God uh, makes his point through his word and, and tells us exactly what our purpose is. And so uh, today we're going to look at that very specific design for marriage. We're, we're at the very base layer. We're looking at foundation. We will dig in specifically to topics as we go, uh, but we're going to be at the very bottom here, all right? Um, so I want you to know today exactly why you're married. Okay, and I'm not even going to make you wait for it, not a little bit. No buildup, I'll tell you right from the get-go. Here's your why. Ephesians 5, 31, 32. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. See, our why in marriage is to be unified as one with our spouse, as a representation of Christ in the church. That's our why. Our why is to be united with our spouse as one, as a representation of Christ in the church. It is an extremely vital that this is the identity of our marriages because when we marry for the wrong reasons what ends up happening is that someday down the road we divorce for the wrong reasons right pastor is there ever a reason to get divorced yes there is you know you don't probably hear that in church a lot but there are times where divorce is just necessary and it's unfortunate and no one ever goes into marriage planning for that but it's a thing that happens and sometimes it necessarily happens but If we go into marriage with the wrong motivation, with the wrong why identified, then we end up divorcing for the wrong reasons down the road, for ungodly reasons, for reasons that that shouldn't happen. And so it's important that we understand that we must be unified with the spouse. That's goal number one. Now, there's two major issues that derail marriage from the get-go. Everybody needs to listen because you're probably either, you may be living in one of these eras right now, or you may be like, hey, pre-dating, and you're saying, hey, one day I want to be married, and you need to think about these things, okay? First is this. There's a portion of our population, and a lot of times now it's the younger side of the population that goes into marriage way too flippant right? Way too flippant. I'm just going to get married. It seems like the next logical step, um, it seems like the next logical step in our relationship, it was something we could do. We were bored or, hey, we met never intending to be married in the first place. There was no intention behind our relationship. I swiped right or left or whatever. You got to swipe on Tinder. We met at Wendy's or Brahms and then we loved each other, right? Before we ever should have loved each other. And then you eventually come down the road and you're like, well, uh, we're still together. What do we do now? I guess we'll get married. And you get married and then, hey, things don't go so well. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is tough. I don't know what I'm doing in this relationship because it's no longer good for me. I wish I hadn't swiped any direction. I never should have downloaded that stupid app. I hate this person. I never want to see him again. And then we throw in the towel. Okay. It's a selfish point of view with marriage. I'll stay married as long as it works for me. I'll stay married as long as I'm happy. This group sets their spouse up for failure because it was never about unity, partnership, or intimacy. It was never about any of those things. It was about convenience. It was about, this just seems like the thing to do. It was right place, right time for me. And the minute that stops, it's sayonara, sayonara, bye. I should have said bye. That's my name tone. bye. That makes sense. Second, okay, there's a second portion of our population who is far too dependent on their marriage for the wrong reason. Okay, far too dependent on their marriage for the wrong reasons. Listen to this. And again, it's starting off on the wrong foot. Uh, what am I? I just turned Canadian. Wrong foot. Okay, the group, this group, they rely on their spouse to deliver joy, happiness, and purpose. They're looking at the other person to give them these things when that can only be given to, from God, right? But we're looking at that other person to deliver all these things for us. And when it doesn't happen, we get upset. The results end up being the same. The focus is still on self. I'll stay married as long as it's working for me. I'll stay married as long as I'm happy, as long as that person is providing for the need that I have, which is joy, which is happiness, which is purpose. And the minute they don't give that to me, I'm gone. I don't want any more of it. See, this group sets their spouse up for failure by setting this impossible standard of having to be the provider of joy and life and fun and all those things. Imagine if you woke up every morning, the minute you woke up, you, you woke up and you feel somebody staring at you and it's your spouse and they're just locked in. Make me happy. Bring me joy. What are you going to do for me today? Right? You're going to crush your spouse. 
It will crush your spouse and it will disappoint you repeatedly. And more than anything, they will run away from you. They will run away from you. Any of you guys have spouses that are always out of the house, always have a different hobby, always want to get away? This may be why. I'm not saying it is. It just may be. Okay? It just may be. Purpose and joy come from God and God alone. So what is the purpose of our marriage? Again, Ephesians 5, 31, 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. He will leave his father and his mother. Some of you wives out there are saying he needs to leave his mama, right? Still hasn't left his mama, right? He's, com- well, my mom makes it this way, or my mom did this, or my mom. Jerrica has asked me a few times in our marriage because she knows it gets under my skin. If she- there's something that I wasn't like slightly cool, she goes, well, how did your mom do it? And she doesn't mean it like negatively. She's just saying, right, we, we, we grow with these habits and we start, we like the way things are done because we live that way our whole life. And then we get married and things change and we still want to hold on to the old. And that happens on both sides right? Male and female, we both do the same thing. Well, this is how it was in my house. Well, this is how it was in my house. We just fight for our right. Okay, just kidding. Um, (laughs) Right? But we're going to leave our father and our mother to be united with our wife or our our husband, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Show others Christ's love for the church by the way you love each other in your marriage. Be united as one. Here's the thing. We are designed to be in relationship. We are designed to be in relationship. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, here's the important part, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall in a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were both naked, and they felt no shame, right? How many of us can say that? Not very many, I'm guessing. Just saying. From the get-go, from the get-go, we are designed to be in relationship with others. We are designed to be in relationship with others. It's not good to be alone, right? God tried the animals. Here's the animals formed from the ground, but they didn't cut it. God brings out a brand new creation, something that's totally different. It wasn't until the creation of woman that a suitable helper was found. A suitable helper was found. Notice the term here is not suitable servant. Okay? Notice the term here is not suitable maid. It's helper. It's a partnership. Somebody to help you through life, not serve you through it. Okay? In fact, Scripture would, if we're going to make an argument for that, Scripture would say that, guys, that's probably our job. We'll talk about it later. But hey, that's probably our job. Eve was different. She wasn't made of the earth like the animals, but of Adam's own bone. Our relationship with our spouse is the greatest possible human relationship that we can have. And because God designed us that way, he gave us three gifts. Three gifts in creating us that way. The first, intimacy. God wants us to be intimate spiritually, emotionally, geographically, sexually, We are supposed to know no one better and be closer to no one in our lives than our spouse. They are supposed to be our number one God, spouse. 
God, spouse. God creates Adam and Eve. Listen to how awesome God is. God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them naked into the garden, and then he commands them. The very next thing he does was give them a command to be fruitful and multiply. He demands intimacy from the get-go. Now, only one type, right? There's more. It builds. But just from the get-go, he demands them to be fruitful and multiply, puts them in their naked. He allows nothing between them, not even clothes. I'm going to make sure you're intimate. No clothes. Don't get much closer than that. You've seen somebody naked, you're pretty much best friends, right? Or you're terrified. It's one of the two things. It's one of those two things. Here's, here's what we need to know as married couples. Sex, and I'm, we're going to be talking about sex. We'll devote an entire Sunday to sex. I'm just going to briefly talk about sex, so don't get, like, overwhelmed with it. But sex is a part of our oneness with one another. That's what oneness means. It literally connects our bodies, making us one. You should be having as much sex as you can have when you're married. When you're married. Only when you're married. Not outside of marriage. When you're married, you should be having as much sex as you can. Now, husbands, listen to me, because this doesn't get to be brought up in about three weeks when you're like, hey, and she's like, no. And you're like, pastor said we should be having sex as much as we can. And you've been a jerk to her all day, and she doesn't want to look at you, let alone touch you, right? So it doesn't work that way. It's not just like, hey, sex, we have to do it no matter what. No. Guys, you're probably going to have to work for it. You're going to have to do the right things. You're going to have to treat your lady the right way. You're going to have to be a good husband. And if you're a father, a good father. And you're going to have to do the right things in order to get there. But you should be having sex as much as you and your wife want to. Now, all the reasons that get in the way of that, you're going to have to work through them. We'll talk about all that. We'll talk about all that. But depriving yourselves of sexual intimacy would be like removing air. It's that much ingrained to our creation. It really is. It's one of the things that God destined for man and wife to have. It's a necessity. You and your husband, you say, I don't feel very close. My first question would be as a pastor, and this sounds crude, would be, how often are you guys having sex? Never. Well, there's one problem. We fix that pretty quickly. We fix that pretty quickly. Right? I know there's more to it. I'm not just trying to, you know, be flipping about it not doing that, but it's important. The first task that was set before Adam and Eve as a couple, be fruitful and multiply, right? That doesn't happen by only having sex at the end of every lunar cycle, right? It's not like, well, Ted, it's full moon. Now's your chance or never, right? That doesn't happen, right? That's not okay. So make sure that you're not depriving yourself from your partner. Look, for guys, our list of priorities for survival is not very crazy. It's air, sex, water, food. If we could do without air, sex would be on top. We'll talk about this later when we talk about the week, but like we think about it all the time. It, it, it determines all kinds of things. How we function in our workplace, how we function in our church, how we function in our family. Guys, it's, again, I'm talking generalities, so remember this, not everybody, but guys think about that more than they think about anything else. It's ingrained within us, in our creation, it's one of the jobs that God gave us, to be fruitful and multiply the earth and subdue it. Now, women have a different list, generally. Women have a different list, and that's okay. One of the things you're going to hear me say a lot this series, one of the things you need to understand is that it's different, it's okay. Right? Your husband is going to think different than you, and that's okay. Your wife is going to think different than you, and that's okay. We're different creatures. We're different beings. We have different backgrounds. We're not the same. We're not made the same. 
Okay? So it's okay to be a little different there. Now, third thing, or second thing, we're talking about intimacy. Second thing is passion. Marriage isn't about survival. It's not about survival. If you're just surviving, how are you doing? How are you and Janine doing? Well, been married 30 years. Can't wait to die, right? Like, <laughs> good grief. That is not the point of marriage. Marriage is not supposed to be something you suffer through and just get to the end of, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, I guess I made it, right? You're supposed to thrive in marriage. Marriage is supposed to help you thrive. It's not about survival. It's about thriving. God wants spouses to be a positive force in the lives of their husband or wife. Not a negative force, not a neutral force, not a sometimes they're good and most of the time I don't know they're here, a positive force. The graph is supposed to trend up the whole life. Okay? God wants you to be blessed by your marriage. He wants you to love one another, serve one another, have joy with one another, be on mission together. You need to care. You need to care. Guys, Jerrica sometimes gets mad at me and frustrated with me. Pray for her because she's not perfect. Okay? Pray for her. She's not perfect. I can say that because she's not here today. Thanks, Winifred, for being sick. Right? But no one. So is the internet. No, shush, Dave. No one, and I mean no one, is a bigger cheerleader for me than her. And hopefully she feels that no one is a bigger cheerleader for her than me. She pushes me. She roots me on. She wants what's best for me. She calls me on my less than satisfactory behaviors, right? She points me in the right direction. She is my compass that is always pointing north. She is the best thing that has ever happened to me, ever, ever. That's what marriage is supposed to be. Don't be a mediocre spouse. Don't put in minimum effort just because you know they won't walk away just because you know that they won't quit. That is selfish, that is disgusting, and shame on you. You must care. Your marriage is not some flippant thing that you just decided to do one day. You made a covenant, because that's the last thing God gives us is commitment. We are one flesh. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Contract has things that liability, right? I break this contract, I lose out on money. You break a covenant, you lose your life. Till death do us part. Okay? Now, God, recognizing that there are things in marriage that no spouse should be submitted to in Scripture, right? Made things very clear. One, infidelity. You want to break the marriage? Do it. Having said that, God will also be strength and blessing to you if you want to push through. But there are other things. God does not expect you to be in an abusive relationship. Okay? God does not expect you to not have a partner in life. It's not your job to do everything. But outside of some extreme circumstances, okay, outside of some extreme circumstances, we make a covenant. We became one flesh. You don't get tired of your arm not working the way you want it to and cut it off. Think about that visual. When you're married, you become one. Your wife is a part of you. You are a part of your wife. One day, you, it's not working as well as you want, and you decide, well, I'll just cut it off. No one would do that. I sprained my ankle. Well, somebody go get me the chainsaw. Like, no, I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. We don't cut parts of ourselves off and just leave them behind. Right? We made a covenant. We are one now. We are one now. You work hard to make it function how it needs to, but you don't leave it behind because it's not perfect. 
we are naturally aesthetic creatures, meaning that we tend to chase after things that make us feel good, right, that we think are beautiful. We attach our things, ourselves to things based on how they make us feel. If we apply that to marriage, then it becomes really dangerous because one day our marriage is good and then one day it's bad. And one day it's good and then one day it's bad. And then for a month or two, it's really bad. And for a month or two, maybe it's good. And then it comes a prolonged time where we're tired of the up and down and it sometimes may feel good and sometimes it doesn't. And so I'm just gone because I don't want to do it anymore. And that's honestly what ends up happening. The minute that we don't feel good, we turn our backs on it, right? And to some of us, we would say that feels like freedom. But really all that's just happened to us is that we have become a slave to our emotions. Things are great because I feel great. Things are bad because I feel bad, right? We have to attach our feelings to an obligation when it comes to marriage. A lot of us don't like the word obligation when it comes to marriage because it removes the romance. It takes away the birds chirping and the hard eyes and the things that you see on the cartoons when somebody falls in love and a heart popping out of the chest, right? We don't want to talk about obligation to marriage, but when you make a covenant to marry somebody, if we can tie our feelings, how we're feeling one day to the next, up and down to that obligation, to that understanding, to knowing, I don't feel great today, but hey, I committed to this for the long haul. So I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep pushing. We're going to have conversations that aren't comfortable and that aren't fun. We're going to yell at each other. Listen, me and my husband yell at each other every day. Well, we haven't lost hope yet. You fight all the time. One thing you have right there is passion. Okay? You have passion. Okay? That's one of the things that you need. That's one of the things that you need. Right? If you stop fighting, you lose that passion, that's when we have problems. But if you fight every day, all that tells me is that there's two individuals that are passionate about the relationship that they're in. Now, we need to talk about how we come to uh, a place where we start to move forward and not just stay, you know, in this locked battle all the time. But that is a good thing. True romantic love and oneness can only occur when we link it to the obligation of covenant of our marriage. That's the only time it actually happens. When we don't fear that, hey, just because it's bad, this person's going to walk away, right? Or, hey, it's really good right now, and so I know things are going to be good at home, but you're always worrying about the next thing. Like, I don't want to bring this up because we might argue, and then things might get bad, and maybe they'll threaten to leave, or maybe they will leave. True romantic love can only happen when we are 100% locked in, okay, 100% locked into the fact that we are sticking through this thing, that we have made a commitment, that we have made a covenant with one another. Because what happens if we don't attach feelings to obligation is that one day we're on one of our social medias and we see Frank and Frank has only always taken his wife to the Bahamas and cruises and everything and Bill over here is sitting on the couch with Cheeto fingers and you look at him because you're looking at social media and Barb's in the Bahamas again and you're like, And he's like, you want to? And you're like, no, I want to go on a cruise, you moron, right? We start to want these things that aren't in our life because everything else looks so good and we haven't attached our feelings to this obligation that we've made. And so we start to really resent our other, our significant other. And then all that does is cause us to move away from them and, and, and try to separate, right? Here's the thing. Adam had no options. That's one of the great things for Adam. Adam had no options. Eve didn't either right? It's like, hey, no Adam and Eve, there's a horse or a 
something, and we don't want that, right? Here's the, here's the challenge. Don't choose the horse. Don't choose the horse. Thank you, Rodney. <laughs> Seriously, though, do not choose the horse. That's got to be the visual. That's got to be the understanding. When we're married, that's our Adam, that's our Eve. We don't have other options. That's our Adam, that's our Eve. We don't have other options. There's no way out. There's no, you know, exit clause. That's the visual we must have. Last thing I'm going to leave you with, and I'm going to get through it really quick, but here's the thing that we have to do, right? What's our purpose? To be one. To be unified in Christ. Okay? To be one. To be unified in Christ. To represent Christ's love for the church. So what must we do? We must fight everything that threatens to disrupt our oneness. Identify and destroy anything that threatens your oneness. Your relationship with your spouse is only second, hear me on this, is only second to your relationship with God. That's it. Okay? That's it. There is no human more important in your life than them. Not yourself, not your parents, not your siblings, not your kids, not your grandkids. I'm going to say the last two again. Not your kids, not your grandkids. Mama bears breathe. Okay, because here's the thing. The best thing that you can do for your child, the best thing that you can do for your child is to provide them with a happy home where mom and dad are committed to loving one another like Christ loved the church. So if you're doing it the right way, if you're doing it the right way, nothing comes before that person because that is the best gift that you can give to your children. If you're doing it the right way. But spouse should be number one. Make time for one another. Call a friend. Hey, I really need you to babysit my kids tonight. Please, I'm begging you. Either my wife and I are going to lose our minds or one of the kids is going to end up dead. Just take them, right? Whatever it may be. But make sure that you still have time for yourself. Song of Solomon 2.15. Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. For the grape vines are blossoming. See, the foxes come in and they're a complete disruption. And they pick at everything and they destroy everything that's there to blossom in your vineyard of love. Right? But they're there to just completely take away from that. So everything that gets in the way of your oneness needs to go. Maybe it's a work schedule. Maybe it's this. Okay? I've gotten to the point where I have to lock this in my room at nights because we're sitting here and it doesn't seem like we're doing anything, so I'll surf Facebook for 12 hours. It's a fault. But that's one of the things that gets in the way of Jericho and I's oneness. So I, I have to have it as part of my functionality for life, but I don't have to have it all the time. So there are times where it's gone. Okay? Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe you have something else. Maybe it's your desire and your have to to be right. Whatever it is that is getting in the way of you and your spouse being one, being united in Christ, and being a representation to the world around you of Christ's love for the church, whatever it is, it's got to go. Okay? I hope you've enjoyed this morning. I hope this morning has brought good things to you. I hope that you will be here for each of the next six weeks because I think every Sunday is equally important. If you're going to miss time, it's online. Okay? I'm going to pray for us. We're going to worship. I just want you guys to think about what I've had to say today. Okay? Just think about it. Lord, come to you right now. We thank you for this day. 
God, thank you for the lessons that you have provided for us when it comes to marriage. You've laid out a pretty uh, simple yet extremely hard to accomplish plan. We are to be one with our spouses, right? No one above the other, just one, moving forward in a constant together direction. God, I would pray that as we begin this series on marriage and as we go throughout the entire series that you would just be a blessing to each and every one of us. Uh, you have spoken to me tremendously through the preparation of this. Um, hopefully we can all come to the table knowing that there's areas that we need to improve. Uh, I know there certainly is for me, but God, I would pray that you would convict us in those areas and that you would give us the strength to have tough conversations as we go, to to get us on pointed in the right direction and, and ultimately uh, forwarding us to the end goal, which is to be one with our spouses just like Christ is one with the church. I thank you for this day. I thank you for each and every person that's here this morning. Um, we love you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>